Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology, with me, Tiasha Zaitz. We're in the middle of a series of discussions related to cancer care, treatment improvements, data management in oncology, and the promise of AI with finding the right treatment for the right patient in the fastest possible manner. As mentioned by Jose M. Fernandez, genomicist and former chief data officer at Institute Curie, faster diagnosis could lead to less aggressive treatment and better patient outcomes. Today, thanks to this genomic sequencing, these molecular panels, we can better identify at molecular level the changes in a particular tumor, and then we can use part of the arsenal that we have. Some of the drugs will be targeting some of those mutations. So that's why genomics today are very important in the precision oncology uh, landscape and will become even more important when we can use uh, that kind of analysis to diagnose cancer on early stages because the earlier we can identify the disease, the wider number of uh, more options are available in terms of treatment. If a patient arrives to the hospital already with metastasis, the number of options are very limited. We covered many perspectives so far. Accessibility and cost of cancer treatments in the US and Canada in the first episodes. Genetics, genomics, data management and science of cancer. We also talked about AI treatments and challenges in designing clinical trials in the era of personalized medicine, as described by Tuvik Baker, CEO of Pangea Biomed. With medicine becoming more and more personalized, there is an inherent difficulty in running clinical trials. Because essentially, if you tailor the treatment very individually to the patient, then any treatment is basically an N of one. Okay, a different patient would get a different treatment. So how do you conduct clinical trials in personalized medicine. I think that's still an open question which needs to be properly thought out together with the regulator. Maybe we should change the way clinical trials are done so that what you're examining is not a particular treatment for a particular group of patients, but rather a particular treatment choice methodology on a group of patients because each patient within that clinical trial would get a slightly different treatment but what you're actually testing is not we give patients with these characteristics all one drug we give each patient a different drug but the methodology for the choice is the same methodology and that's what's being approved in the clinical trial today we'll dive into the reality of cancer survivors Many cancer survivors in long-term remission are faced with restricted access to financial services because of their medical history. Some EU countries have already implemented the so-called right to be forgotten, a right for patients to not disclose their medical history when looking for loans or a new job. 
changes across Europe are happening slowly and given the rising incidence of cancer on the one hand and scientific advancements on the other hand, we need to raise awareness and increase the speed of change for the improved quality of life of cancer survivors. In this episode, you're going to hear a full discussion with Dr. François Mounier, member of the Belgian Royal Academy of Medicine, former Director General of European Organization for Research and Treatment of Cancer, and a scientific member of the European Cancer Patient Coalition, who has been fighting for the right to be forgotten across Europe for over 10 years. Before we dive into today's discussion, do check out our newsletter. It only comes out once a month. The September issue is focused on the insights about healthcare digitalization in Africa and the two editions before that on digital health in Taiwan and the APAC region. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the show to receive new episodes in your podcast player automatically. Dr. Unye, thank you for joining this discussion about cancer survivorship and the right to be forgotten. Maybe before we begin the discussion about the development of the right to be forgotten across Europe, it would be beneficial for us to describe or define what the right to be forgotten means in the context of cancer survivors. So how would you define it? Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak about a topic very close to my heart. Yes, indeed, the right to be forgotten for cancer survivor is a specific concept, meaning that the patient who is cured should not be discriminated or penalized because he had cancer. So this is to be distinguished from the right to be forgotten linked to the GDPR. This has nothing to do, it's a separate issue. It's just the fact that cancer should not be taken into account. In fact, it's the cancer who should be forgotten. You were the Director General of the European Organization for Research and Treatment of Cancer for 24 years, from 1991 to 2015, and you're also the Scientific Member of the European Cancer Patient Coalition and the Member of the Belgian Royal Academy of Medicine. So I wonder, as a doctor and a researcher, when did you recognize the problem cancer diagnosis presents for patient survivors? How did you get involved in the advocacy for the right to be forgotten. I initiated this, these activities on the right to be forgotten in 2013 when I prepared the first Cancer Survivorship Summit, which took place in January 2014. And what motivated my action at that time is that I observed tremendous progress in the field of medical care for patients with cancer. As when I was graduated as a medical doctor in 1974, announcing the diagnosis of cancer to a patient was a death sentence. For many cancers, we had no real effective treatment and the survival rate were uh, dismissal. While throughout the time of my medical career, over 45 years, I observed 
tremendous progress and major improvement in survivorship of patients with cancer. Let it be breast cancer, testis cancer, Hodgkin disease, children leukemia. But the society did not realize, did not cope with the success of the medical field. And the society, meaning the employer, the banker, the insurer, did not realize that cancer was no longer a death sentence. And that's how I initiate the concept of cancer survivorship, particularly for financial toxicity. I concentrate now my activities on financial toxicity. And I was very much inspired by the French pioneer work with the first legal framework on the right to be forgotten, which was agreed in 2016. So mm-hmm. this was the initial step moving forward toward a right to be forgotten on an European level, because it's unfair for other cancer survivors in other countries than France not to benefit from similar action that were taken and proven effective in France. To understand the problem better, when you say financial toxicity, can you illustrate that with patient stories that you came across? So what kind of examples did you observe with patients that were victims of the financial toxicity? Oh, there are plenty of examples of patients who, to whom we, medical doctors, medical oncologists, we tell you are cured, live your life. We no longer need to do all those tests and to do a follow-up every six months, perhaps once a year or even not at all. And facing that, the patient came back to us, and particularly to me, and I have two vivid examples in my close contact, saying, yes, live your life, but we cannot buy an apartment or a home. The first, for example, is a young woman with Hodgkin disease. She is a civil engineer, very smart. She developed Hodgkin during the last year of university. Despite chemotherapy, she succeeded her study. She is now an engineer in a large company. She got two kids. She was married. She got two kids. She is now 43. And she cannot get a loan to buy her own home while she is really effective in life and working and well. That is one example. I'll give you another example. Also a young woman, a lawyer, who developed brain tumor more than 10 years ago. And she had to stop to work for a while. She had surgery. And then she was very well. She is a very successful lawyer. She moved from Belgium to Luxembourg. And neither in Belgium nor in Luxembourg, now that we are 10 years later, she could get, I speak about two years ago, so she, had, she was at eight years after surgery, she could not get a loan. So here are two examples of, Two very active women work feeling well, but stop in their project in by financial, what I call and what is called by other financial toxicity. What do patients do in such cases so they can't ah. get a loan? So what's usually the next step for them? Either their partner or husband 
can take the loan on their own name or they have parents or family or they can just decide to take a smaller home or a small apartment or not or, or, or uh, rent something instead of buying but it's also true for other cancer survivors who need to buy for example a car for doing their job and so on so it's not only restricted to loan and mortgage to buy your property, but it's also for professional loans. The right to be forgotten has been most developed or the whole story has been most advanced in France and that's also what inspired you. So can you describe the evolution of the right to be forgotten in France so we understand how the society took the approach towards this? It was an initiative taken by the INCA, Institut National du Cancer, who put together the insurance and the banker and the legal responsible and decide on common agreement to initiate this uh, droit à l'oubli. Initially in restricted framework with 10 years, so you had to wait 10 years after the end of treatment to the right to be forgotten, that is that cancer cannot be taken against you when you ask for a loan or a mortgage. That was the main framework that was put in action in 2016. And now we are in 2022 and we have significant feedback from the last year showing that actually it's very effective. And it's even so that recently, in 2022, in France, they have decided to decrease the time, the delay, from 10 years to 5 years. And in addition, another major step to me is that they announced that they are stopping to require a medical questionnaire that is really important, the medical questionnaire, in specific circumstances, such as loan of 200,000 euros per person. So it means if you have a partner, it's 400,000, but 200,000 per person to be reimbursed by the age of 60. So in that framework, you don't need to have a medical questionnaire, which is a significant step which also should inspire the whole Europe. Only a, a handful of countries in Europe are working on the right to be forgotten. So in that context, what was the sentiment in France that these changes occur? Was the advocacy so strong? Was the public debate so loud? What were the factors that contributed to these constant improvements that we see Yes, in France, they were uh, the rose up the, uh, a group of uh, patient advocacy uh, with breast cancer, which was extremely active and extremely instrumental. And I start, as I say, in 2016, after the French legal framework, I start to say, yes, this is very nice, but it has to be extended. Since I have always been working on the European level, I don't see why other European citizens should not benefit from the same framework. And so, indeed, Belgium followed, Netherlands, Luxembourg, Portugal, 
And now there are four other countries who are actively working on such a legal framework, which is Italy, Romania, Cyprus, and Ireland. So there are four new countries trying to also implement it. But meanwhile, in parallel, the European Commission and the European Parliament have been also very much involved in this through the European Beating Cancer Plan, which was set up, which includes the right to be forgotten, and the action of the European Parliament through the BECA, the Committee Against Cancer. And in addition, the European uh, Commission organized also the Cancer Mission, which is a major research program on cancer, And among the priorities recommended by the board of the mission, there is also research on the right to be forgotten. So we have two major European instruments, the Beating Cancer Plan and the Cancer Mission, which are addressing the issue on the right to be forgotten. Now the concept has gone through. Another major step has been taken this presidency under the French presidency, through a political declaration which was signed by the trio, the French, the Czech and the Sweden, which is going to be pursued through the Czech presidency and the Swedish presidency. And in that political declaration, Action 24 requires that the right to be forgotten would be indeed promoted throughout all EU countries. But in addition, they took one of my recommendations, which is to install, to create a network, an implementation network with experts from the five countries who have already the law, where it is functioning, in order for the other not to reinvent the wheel and to base the legal framework on a level, on the same principle. We can accept some specificity, some national specificity and modalities. For example, because the cost of housing is totally different in Luxembourg or in Romania, or in other countries, so we can at the level of a mortgage, for example, but the same principle should prevail. So this is really important that this implementation network with expertise from countries who live it through would be taken into account instead of accelerate the process. What the commissioner is wishing is that by 2024, the right to be forgotten would be accepted and available initially as a code of conduct, which is not binding, which is guidelines, recommendation, which I don't consider it strong enough, but it has been accepted as such and it is a first step. And I think the more we have observation of several years behind us, like in France, the more people will be confident that it is not a catastrophic situation. And to my knowledge, there is no single French insurance company which became bankrupt because of the initiation of the right to be forgotten. On the contrary, since now they themselves, Crédit Mutuel in France, the largest insurer, 
decide to withdraw the medical questionnaire. So it shows that it is effective and it doesn't affect their financial success. It is a positive news for patients to know that there is a framework in progress on the European level. I wonder, though, to which extent do you think that individual countries still need to take a lot of effort in understanding the concept in their own environment so the decision makers don't just say, okay, so Europe is working on this, we'll know what to do in 2024, and that's when we're going to start dealing with this problem? No, I don't agree. I suggest that it's good that every country prepare itself and already investigate the extent of the problem and how it was done. So the soon we have this implementation network with the experts from the five countries, the better it is in order to prepare the law and, and everything. We should not sit back and relax and wait for instruction from 2024. We have already a vivid example how to pass the way. I still wonder what your journey was like. The impression for our discussion is that things finally started moving, but you're in this for almost 10 years now. So yes. how do you see the pace of change? What was the most difficult thing on your journey when you were trying to raise awareness about this problem and its significance to a large population across the world because the incidence of cancer is increasing and the survivorship is also increasing, which is good. But it means that we have a growing population of people that might be affected by the unfair treatment in financial toxicity. Yes, indeed, it was a difficult uh, track, but I am very persistent and convinced about the beauty of the system. For me, the most difficult part was between 2013, when I started the first uh, survivorship summit, uh, the Agenda, and uh, 2016. Since France was there, it was easier to convince country by country, Belgium, Netherlands, and now the ball is rolling. So I feel that it is a very nice concept and project that nobody can reject or object to. So I don't see why a cancer patient, as was mentioning the young lawyer woman, she told me I had the feeling to have to pay twice. So cancer patients should not have to pay twice after getting through their ordeal and their difficult treatment period. And when we, medical doctors, we tell them you are cured, then they face new issues, new financial problems and so on, which were totally unexpected. And so we have to realize that taking into account the tremendous progress in cancer, and now people see, because everybody around us have patient or no person who have had cancer and who are living quite well. I think the concept has gone through, still with some reluctance, particularly from insurer company, but we're getting there. Are there any uh, challenges that you foresee that the countries might face? What do you think is going to be the most difficult thing for the idea of the right to be forgotten to um, go in practice even after the European framework is uh, published? But 
As for any new legal issue, it is it takes time. And you have to convince. It has to go through parliament. It has to be voted. It's not overnight. Huh? It's not overnight. But the more time we have in front of us, the more experience people will face with other countries who have already implemented the law without any significant problem. So I am rather confident. Nobody can object to this. One more question. How do you see the right to be forgotten in the context of rising healthcare digitalization? So more and more data is being digitalized. And in that sense, some patients are concerned that um, somebody could access their medical information or that just uh, enacting the right to be forgotten might be more difficult. This is a very vast topic. Digitalization does not mean open access. Digitalization of medical record as included in the GDPR and normally either for large databases for research on epidemiology, for example, it is anonymized or for taking care of patients and moving patients from one hospital to the other. There, it's not anonymized because all the medical profession have to have access to the medical record of the patient. But again, it is under the secret professionnel and the commitment of medical healthcare professions. So it is In case of medical relationship and medical treatment, it is among medical profession who are bind to the medical. And on the other side, you have the GDPR, which uh, should protect a lot as well. So I don't think that healthcare digitalization is a threat for the right to be forgotten. Yeah, maybe what I was thinking is that, of course, when it comes to digitalization, data needs to be protected and a very high level of security needs to be ensured. But we also see that data breaches are increasingly frequent and medical data is very valuable because, for example, unlike the information about your credit card, once your diagnosis is publicly available or somebody realizes you had something, you can't change that information. So, yeah, just from that perspective, I was considering the maybe the fears that are related to digitalization. Maybe when it comes to to uh, convincing uh, bankers or insurers that the right to be forgotten needs to be enacted and after a while patients can be considered healthy. Can you maybe share any feedback or negative input that you got from the side of the financial decision makers because they might argue that they also need to make a business case and the, some patients are more risky. I'm sure you came across a lot of those kinds of reluctant responses when it comes to changing the paradigms of how, for example, premiums and risks is calculated. Yes, indeed. Insurers are very reluctant because they want to be able to assess the risk, which somehow is normal. They also threat that if we extend the right to be forgotten, everybody will have to pay more. But again, I always come back to the French history of five or six years uh, backup. When we decide that a patient is cured, I would not say that the risk is null, 
but it's minimal and it is diluted. First of all, not all cancer survivors require loans, so it's already a dilution. And I think the best answer to that is to look at what's happening in France. They even feel confident enough to decrease from 10 years to 5 years the penalty and to abandon the medical questionnaire in certain circumstances, which go against all the negative arguments that the insurance can provide. Do you see this as the beginning of a bigger story? Because cancer survivors are just one group of, let's say, former patients. But we've got a vast number and population of chronic patients that perhaps have their condition in really good remission or state and might also be faced with negative consequences of having a long-term diagnosis. Yes, indeed, chronic patients are a different category. For the moment, the right to be forgotten includes also HIV patients with AIDS and hepatitis C. So for some hepatitis and HIV patients, it is already covered with the legal framework on the right to be forgotten for cancer survivors. Now, when we speak about chronic disease, I would make a statement about the definition. Diabetes is a very good example. When you have a diabetes, by definition, it is a long-lasting disease you can be totally stabilized and well equilibrated, but we are never going to tell you a cure. So you see, the notion of to tell to a patient you are cure and or in long-term remission, or to a diabetic patient where you are never going to tell him you are cure, he will be well treated, balanced, equilibrated, but we are never going to tell him you are cured. And so this is a major difference. But do you think that we could ensure better conditions also for those kinds of patients if their disease is well managed? I'm sure that it's very difficult to somehow track or be sure as, let's say, the decision maker that the patient in front of you that's applying for something is well managed. But still, many patients wonder when they could worry less about the impact of their chronic conditions on everyday life that they lead. There I am somewhat reluctant because for diabetes, even if it's well treated, we know that there is many long-term toxicity, renal, on the ocular, on cardiovascular, on the vascular. There are many late complications. So I would still make a distinction. The legal framework on the European level, as we mentioned, is in preparation. We're so soon going to see it. But I'm sure that you're not looking at this as my job is done. I can now stop with my efforts related to the right to be forgotten. What do you look forward to in the, let's say, upcoming two years? And are there any specific plans in making the right to be forgotten an even easier issue on the European level. Yes, indeed. I am very interested in the topic. I really dedicate now all my professional activities on pro bono to that topic. And I think 
even during those two years, there are still many things to do and the soon we can activate specific country, the better it is. So uh, I am not out of activities. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast because it really, really helps other listeners interested in digital health find the show as well. Stay tuned.